Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 338 of the Fun with Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 25 of 2022. And yes, it has been a couple months since our last episode. <laughs> um, we've been busy. I'm Robin Warner, and with me, as always, is Chris Faroche. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin. Has, has there been any racing recently? Well, you know, it is funny. You know, a little bit of the steam was taken out of the season with the inevitability of Red Bull Racing, but certainly that was not a reason to not podcast. But what was a reason to not podcast was just uh, the very, very, very busy life the last couple of months and, uh, you know, trying to make, uh, you know, this freelance thing viable. So I do apologize. It is 100% my fault. Um, and I am also still trying to figure out the best format for this podcast going forward. But, um, you know, I do love racing so very much that keeping this going is uh, of paramount importance. And uh, Chris Faroche is just such a fantastic ally to have. So as long as you're still willing, sir, uh, let's keep this going. Always willing to talk about Formula One with you, mate. Always. Ah, uh, oh, cheers. All right. Cheers to that. Okay. Um, oh, ah, fun little side note that pertains to Formula One um, indirectly, but good enough. I got a can, I believe it is, of gin from that uh, place. I believe you saw it yourself. What's that store called? Total Wine? Total Wine. Fabulous yes. place. It was a birthday present for me. So I, I now have a, a 750 milliliter can slash jar. Um, but, uh, anyway, it's, um, <laughs> have you tried it? Is it good? I have not tried it yet. I, I think that will change tonight. I'm looking forward to it, certainly. And, uh, it, it should be a good time. But can doesn't do it justice, does it? The, basically the packaging is attempting to make it look like a can of oil, right? But it's gin. Yeah. Like an old school, like yeah. an old school can, you know, nothing but, plastic here. Right. And, but, but it's delicious gin inside as opposed to uh, oil. Yes. You know, well, you know, the nicer oils might be delicious as well. I'm <laughs> not going to discourage oils. But uh, anyway, um, that is not the purpose of the podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to catch up a bit on the Formula One news, the silly season that proved to be the silliest in a long, long time and <laughs> continues to be silly. It does indeed. I mean, we were just getting over all of the driver ins and outs and swaps. Uh, I guess let's touch on that quickly. So we, we lost Vettel, Schumacher, Ricardo, and Latifi at the end of 22, who will be replaced, uh, not necessarily in the right order here, but we got Hulkenberg, DeVries, Sargent, and Piastri joining the grid in, in 23. Um, and we've got Alonso off to Aston and Gasly to, to Alpine. So uh, I guess, you know, Four-time world champion leaving the series. Any any real sadness there? I I I more respect than sadness. I think that we saw two things happen. I think that he was able to define the second half of his season quite nicely because of his fairly early retirement and. He got a lot of admiration and respect from a lot of different people. He got to um, see celebrations in ways and all these kinds of things. And 
The second part of it was he drove about as well as, we, as we've seen him in years. And so I, I think it was a really nice way to send off for Vettel. And, yeah, boy, oh, boy, did he uncork a lot of change in the sport at the same time. So I think he, assuming he does not pull a Schumacher and come back to Formula One in three years, I think that he... He did a very dignified, very classy kind of exit. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all of that. Is it too soon to assess his place in the sport? I mean, statistically, by some metrics, he is third on the all-time list. I mean, would you place him third or higher or lower? <laughs> Oof. I, yeah, uh, I mean, he, he was one that had a career that went through many phases, I think. I think... You know, when he first got into the sport, he impressed mightily at BMW Sauber. Even I think it might have just been that one-off race at, at Indianapolis in 2007. And uh, and then obviously what he did at Toro Rosso was pretty fantastic. Having that win in Monza for the Italian team, all very, very cool uh, to see. And then obviously his Red Bull dominance, you know, his reputation was tainted a bit by uh, his Ferrari tenure. Um, and, you know, the way he left Red Bull wasn't quite as strong as the way he had been there. But I don't know. I To have the string of successes that he did, I, I still think that's something to commend. I don't know about top three, but certainly he's up there. Yeah, he's a... It's quite a complex racing history, isn't it? Because there's definitely some still huge question marks around certain aspects of his racecraft and um, and his ability to perform in in cars that you know don't really suit his driving style. Um, I mean, when he was on it, uh, he was he was blisteringly quick, and he, you know he knew how to win a race. But uh, um, but I don't know. I, he'd struggle to make my top ten. Even though he's a four-time world, world champion with over fifty Grand Prix wins, that's he's you know he's. But as you said, there are certainly aspects to him, like his love of British humour and the Williams FW14B, that do endear me to him. But I still, <laughs> I still struggle to put him really high when you start to really uh, assess his career. But um, yeah, I, I was happy that he went out on a high, and it was great to see the. Uh, the general outpouring of love for him within the F1 fraternity. Um, must have made poor old Latifi feel a bit bad, though. <laughs> Did well, anyone notice he'd left? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I rate Vettel higher than Latifi by quite a lot. <laughs> I, I, I hope that's true for you as well. I mean, you know, I think the, the thing that Vettel, you know, Vettel as a human being, you know, Vettel as an individual, I think he grew into be just a really, you know, kind, thoughtful man that happened to be a very good race driver. You know, uh, you know, of all time, it starts getting harder. Uh, he certainly benefited from good circumstances, but at the same time, he also did capitalize on those circumstances. So he's he's still among one one of the great great drivers in my opinion um but exactly 
where I'm place where I'd place him when I'm given the list of 750 Grand Prix drivers that have ever sat inside of a Formula One car during a Grand Prix. You know, I don't know where he'd fall. I see. So um, two of those individuals on the way out are going to stay in the sport. We got uh, Daniel Ricciardo was. <laughs> Uh, made a shocking decision, honestly, to go back to Red Bull. I can only imagine the uh, internal torment uh, at that decision um, because there were a lot who questioned his, his decision to leave in the first place. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's interesting that he's decided to sort of take some time out and, and try and rebuild his career there. I mean, uh, I think, you know, there is a incentive of, of rating him yeah, going back to a familiar environment in a car he knew he, he he could perform in a Red Bull in the past and against you know one of the one of the upper uh, upper benchmarks in the sport in in Max Verstappen. So if he can if he can match him in the sim, I guess Daniel will will still believe he's he's still got it. But um, uh, so I'm very pleased that he's still going to be uh, involved with the sport and that there's a possibility he may come back to the grid in 2024, but where that might be, I don't think we know. Cause definitely, um, we've got, uh, Perez signed for, for two more seasons. So this isn't, this isn't a Ricardo deal for, a, for a sit on the sidelines for a year and then guaranteed race seat for 24 with Red Bull. This is, um, this is not that type of d- deal at all. Uh, so there's no guarantee he'll get any sort of seat time unless it's as a reserve driver for Red Bull in this contract. Um, any thoughts on that, on that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed. I would rather him seen be a full-time WEC driver. Of course, I would love it if he came to IndyCar. I think he would love IndyCar if he came here. Uh, you know, but... <sighs> I think there was just kind of like a a pride, a battle of pride in his own mind. And, you know, what Red Bull is, is a top team with, uh, you know, drivers with undisputed levels of talent. Certainly, uh, Max Verstappen is rated very highly. And if he can compare himself well against that, that will definitely be a confidence builder. The Red Bull car is where he uh, obtained most of his wins. And so historically, at least, that car suited his driving. So maybe that's an opportunity as well, is that he saw this was a chance to maybe regain some mojo. And, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, him ending up in the Toro Rosso, maybe... That's a way to have some dignity to close out his career. I don't know, but yeah, I see. I see a full-on factory Red Bull seat a little bit hard, hard for him to grab at this. Given how long he's been in the sport already in his age, and how Red Bull operates, I, to me that seems like a bit of a risk. But maybe, you know, who knows what spots will open up where, and if he starts getting uh, getting more respect, he get rating higher in his reserve role, maybe that'll open up some opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's about starting to try and rebuild his reputation after two years of being hammered by Lando Norris and uh, and trying to get more interest from maybe other other team managers potentially. Um, well, and it, but it's not even, you know, it's, he never, he knows, I mean, he, that car just didn't suit him. You know what I mean? For whatever reason, 
That car did not suit him. He was not comfortable in it. He never fully happened. The, the, he had flashpoints where it seemed like he was on in the good again, but it just it wasn't sustainable. You know, he had a race win in that car. And, yep. uh, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, Lando's quick and, it, and Lando's good in that car, but I don't even feel, you know, it's not even, for me, obviously the Lando comparison is there, but I, I think it was more of a battle against himself and getting confidence to really, I think he was the kind of driver that really kind of like, like Mansell-esque a little bit, little really like manhandled the car, and for whatever reason, the McLaren did not respond to that. Yeah, I, th- I think there was something fundamental, uh, unfortunately, in his driving style and, and the nature of both this year's and last year's McLaren, which were quite different beasts. So curious. We shall see uh, with interest what, what develops there. Another driver who has managed to, to keep his career alive is, is Mick Schumacher, who's just today being confirmed as the reserve driver for Mercedes-Benz um, with Toto Wolff. Uh, singing his praises, really, both as, a, as an individual and as a racing driver. So uh, uh, what do you think about Mick uh, yeah, getting that opportunity? I, you know, huh, I <laughs> I have to tell you, I, I, I feel bad about this one. And I, I really, those Russians, man. Listen, <laughs> I, think, I think Mazepin really screwed Mick over in the sense that he was, you know, clobbering his teammate and probably not trying all that hard to do it. And then all of a sudden he's got one year with uh, Magnuson and everything's everything's that much harder for him. And, or was it? It was. Yeah, it was one year. Right. And um, I think that had he had a more accomplished teammate for the first place, it would have put him in better stead and he would have been much better suited to compete in the car and I think he would have saved his race seat. So that that gets a that gets a bit layered, I admit, but uh you know, I I feel bad that I feel like Mick deserves uh a race seat and you know, had he had a teammate to like get him into the sport a little bit more um you know, get him charged up for the uh, what Formula 1 really is about a bit more when he was a rookie that he would have been better suited now. But that long build-up said, I think that Mercedes is a great place for him. And, you know, it, it it's an excellent opportunity, potentially, if things fall his way. But that is a risk. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up the sort of dynamic it has. I, there's been a lot of interviews with Gunter Steiner of late. And... Nobody, in my opinion, really sort of asked him the fundamental question, which is, you know, what the hell were you thinking having two rookies at your team? And now you're going back to <laughs> yeah. to two experienced drivers. You basically admitted your mistake. You lost two seasons. You basically killed a promising rookie's, you know, in, in the form of Schumacher's career to a large degree. I mean, and yet somehow he keeps his job. I mean, we've had a lot of team managers go of late, but Gunter seems fairly... Um, well ensconced it has and to me it just shows what a fast and we'd said it at the time that it was ill-advised to dump two you know well well proven drivers uh, uh, from your team and hire two rookies that it was either going to be a brilliant move or a disaster and it's turned out to be a disaster quite honestly and 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that they've addressed the mistake and, and I'm pleased that we've got Magnussen on the grid. He's, he had a great season and, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how Hulk will go next year. But it, when it comes down to it, that, that whole decision was a disgrace to, 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 get, to get rid of Grosjean and, and Magnussen in the first place. It was absolutely, fundamentally, the wrong decision. Yeah. And, uh, and they've paid a heavy, heavy price for it. I mean, even you could argue even this year, because Haas was pretty peppy at times during the season, but they only finished eighth. Well, especially which, early in the season. Exactly. And if Schumacher had been able to deliver on the performance of the car early on, Haas may have, may have got as high as, I don't know, sixth or seventh in the championship. Instead, they only managed to, you know, sort of take, I'd say, partial advantage of the strength of the car. Uh, largely through Schumacher's inability to not crash it or to get it somewhere near Magnussen's <laughs> pace. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's one of the reasons cited why he got, got, got lost the seat. Yeah, he was expensive. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. So it, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I know Gunter's kind of really the de facto team owner uh, because Gene doesn't... <laughs> Gene sort of lets it get, get on with it. Uh, but... Uh, so he does seem to have a very solid position there, but it does seem like that was a hugely bad mistake. Um, there we go. Maybe he'll be. Maybe he'll leave Haas and be the new Ferrari guy when <laughs> when uh, poor Fred Vasseur gets dumped in a couple of years' time. Well, I, okay, you're 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 building me up. I, I probably oh. should go through the drivers a little bit more, but yeah, I <laughs> that I definitely want to talk about team principles. So uh, you know. Logan Sargent getting into the sport, an American in Formula One. I'm excited about that. Uh, I've seen an interview with him, and I, mm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. He's young, so you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how he takes to the culture of Formula One, and how the culture of Formula One takes to him. And uh, you know, it, it's in, it's a. I'm very fascinated to see this. I'm, I'm happy that um, an American is in the sport again. And I'm still very frustrated at how the FIA reacts to IndyCar. But, you know, this potentially, now that it combines with three U.S. Grand Prix and, uh, you know, other things, you know, more momentum for the U.S. and Formula One to be tied together generally, you know, maybe he's the perfect one to break the ice. Again. Yeah, so only one season in F2. Um, he, he finished fourth. Um, pretty good. I think he was rookie of the year. So pretty respectable first, first year in, the ch- in, a, in a competitive championship. Um, and you know, two race wins, series. I believe. I hope I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Um, and, of course, he's been a development driver for Williams for a little while, so they do know quite a lot about him. Um, I think... If Williams's form continues, there won't be a huge amount of pressure on him because they're they don't you know they're the slowest car this season, um, and he does have a good yardstick to go up against. So we know that Albon is is a pretty handy driver. Um, he's he had a good season, uh, put the car in places it probably didn't deserve to be at times. Sort of picked up where Russell left off. Uh, so if Sargent can get close to Albon and closer than Latifi was able to on a consistent basis that i think will be will be a good uh will be a good step for him unfortunately i don't think that's enough to really increase f1's 
um, presence in the United States. You know, you really need a, an American driver to be in a competitive car, um, potentially winning races or winning races consistently. And I don't think Logan's going to provide that in the near term. But, you know, it's a, it's a, at least it's a first step. Um, and it's good to have someone from the, this country you know, back in F1 because it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, Alexander Rossi was the most recent, and he was just a few Grand Prix, and then before that it was Scott Speed. Yep. Uh, so, and you know. Rossi and was 15, neither. right? So that was seven What's years that? ago. Rossi well, uh, was, was way back in yeah, yeah, 2015, right. yep. Well, back when, back when it was Manor, I believe. Was it Manor or Marusha? It was one of those two. I think you're right. I think it was Manor. Yeah. But I, so, I forget now. It's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. So, I mean, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, um, but I I, th- I think we're culturally in a different place, and that uh, I'm hopeful that he will he will be looked on, um, Logan Sargent will be looked on with just more respect in in general, and uh, and you know that's that's my hope anyway. And uh, he did he did have two wins in the Formula Two Championship. Um, and two pole positions as well. This is according to Wikipedia. Okay, so team principles. Uh, what are Ferrari thinking here? I <laughs> oh, good. Just, I, I'm glad you agree. I just, yeah. it's just listen. That, that's they had Jean Tost for a long, long time, um, and I'm probably saying his name incorrectly now that I now that I now that it's come out of my mouth. Um, but it's you know, who, yeah, not, yeah, 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 uh, yes, there you go. Thank you. Um, but then, you know, they, it's just kind of been a rotating circus of no one team principal has been there for more than what? I mean, three seasons max, I think. And here comes Matteo Bonato, an Italian. He's got a technical background. He's doing a lot of things. Ferrari has its most successful season that it's had in a long time. I'd say, and he's out. I don't know. I, nothing against Fred Vassar, but you know, there's it. It takes time to really build a culture and get everything working together and having it all just function and and be culturally one unit and operate as a team. And if you keep throwing out the team leader for a new one, you're disrupting all that, and you kind of have to start over again. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, obviously Ferrari had those couple of seasons where they they with with Sebastian Vettel, they they competed for the championship. They weren't successful. Um but you know, it looked like they were getting closer. Uh and then they had that season where they had the illegal engine. Right. Uh, they won some races, uh but uh but then they had a couple of horrible years where where having been found you know, being too creative with the engine regulations, they were they were quite heavily penalised. And to pick, it's like, wait, to pick what, them up oil from, isn't fuel. Oh, <laughs> yeah, to pick themselves up from that and and to come back. And I, I mean, it, to my mind, Ferrari exceeded my expectations. I was not I was not expecting Ferrari to to compete at any level for the championship. I wasn't expecting them to even win races, honestly, given the the difference in performance between Ferrari and Red Bull and Mercedes from last season. And, of course, the rules reset did give teams opportunities, and Ferrari really 
um, did target putting a lot of resources into this year. But ultimately, that all has to come about from a vision from, from the team leader. And Bonotto is a, is a Ferrari man. He's been there a long time. Um, and he, you know, he did a lot of things right. Ferrari had some amazing success at the start of the season. And I think, unfortunately, it seems to have reset everyone's expectations. And so when the championship bid fell away, you know, the, the knives have come out. And rather than looking at it sort of glass half full, everyone said, well, that was a bit of a bust. And so that someone had to go. I mean, as you said, it's just when you're getting some f- good momentum and making some progress, you're going to change, you're going to change the guy at the top for another person who's going to want to, you know, meddle and justify his, his recruitment. And the likelihood is you either go laterally or backwards, not really forwards. So uh, were, were mistakes made at Ferrari this year? Yes. Could they have made better strategic decisions? Could they have, have tried to get on top of their, you know, tire deg quicker? Of course they could have done. But ultimately, I think they had a really successful season. Coming second in the championship was a, was a good result for them. And a lot of that has to be you know, credited to, to Matteo Bonotto, and, and now he's gone, and it's yeah. extraordinary. And both of their drivers had wins this season, and, yeah. um, you know, they had to get Carlos Sainz kind of into the car, comfortable with it, everything else. And, you know, he's it takes he took him a while, but he's finally coming on, so they're a stronger pairing than they were at the beginning of the season, certainly. And... Um, yeah, you know, strategically there were some errors there. There, and you said something I think is important: glass half full. That class was three quarters full. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not a glass half empty glass. It's like, wait, did someone take a couple sips out of my full drink? It's like, dude, that was it, that was a massive amount of progress. And uh, Mattia Bonato had to play a pretty crucial role in making decisions to get Ferrari on the development of the new regs early and go in a good, smart direction with that development to start off with such a strong car. Uh, yeah. yeah he, he's been credited with trying to change some of the blame culture that has existed at Ferrari for a long time and, and to try and, you know, allow engineers and, and members of the team to, to be braver, to, to come up with, you know, unique development directions to try and get, Ferrari moving forward and their car was quite different to anybody else's and you know it was really quick on a you know for, for single lap pace it's probably the quickest in the field so you've got to say this, that there was a lot of success there um, and now it feels like they've just gone and shot themselves in in both feet um, yeah. I mean I'm not disparaging Fred Vasseur he's got a really good track record you know, hugely successful in the lower junior formula. Uh, he's done a decent enough job at Sauber, although he's not really transformed them, has he, in his time? I mean, I think the biggest thing going for Fred is that he's a diminutive Frenchman, and, and the last successful <laughs> team principal of Ferrari <laughs> was a diminutive Frenchman. So that's really the only connection I can make. But So but it's I his don't... height. It's his height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Maybe we, you know, maybe he'll prove us wrong. But I have a hard time seeing it. But uh, you know, well, I mean, that's that's how Ferrari operates, and it how it's how it has operated for quite some time. And uh, I guess we shall see. Um, what do you think of uh, Sidel? I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, moving to Fred's old spot. 
So I think there was a lot of expectation that once an Audi, uh, once Audi had, had announced their return to the, well, not return. Well, I guess it is return. It's 1930s Audi used to be in, in right, pre F1, right? Grand Prix <laughs> yeah, motor racing. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So once Audi announced that they were coming to Formula One, it was expected that he would be likely to join because of his track record with them uh, and their Le Mans efforts. But I, um, I, yeah, I find it kind of curious. I wonder if if uh, McLaren um, and Zach weren't that worried about him leaving, given that I think McLaren kind of underperformed this year. I think there was a lot of expectation that, like yeah. Ferrari, McLaren could take advantage of the rule reset and really close the gap to the front runners. Instead, they, they fallen. wanted to be top three. Yeah, they, they wanted yeah, to be exactly. third in the championship. Not instead, they, they, end up, they I think fifth, right? So yeah, they they fell behind Alpine, so they've they've actually fallen a spot. So now they're just the they're the top non-manufacturer team, which isn't great. And uh, you know, and maybe Seidel is is partly responsible for that. I don't know. I mean, there's a, obviously it's a big organization, um, and, but he, he's very highly rated. I know that a lot of people think he's great and transformed McLaren, but when you look at the results, you kind of wonder. Hmm, okay, I, I I don't think so. I think they they were really just the fact that they dropped uh, they dropped down the competitive order. The fact that they could never get get anything to work with Ricardo, those are two big failings in my mind. Um, so maybe Zach, Zach did, didn't agreed. need his arm arm twisted too much to say yeah bye bye. And and I like the fact that they've they've uh, promoted from within. Andrea Stella has got a good reputation, good history. He's next Ferrari man. Um, so so I don't know. I don't really have a problem with that move at at all. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully it it pays dividends. You know, I certainly would love to see. McLaren towards the front again and again. This is my bias. I, I've quite I've been pleasantly surprised with what Zach Brown has been able to do, and I'd love to see him have more success as well. So, uh, for those reasons, uh, I'm 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 wishful. I'm hopeful, but uh, you know, I thought I thought that Adrian did a good job. So, but just as you say, you could look at some failings of McLaren and think, well. You know, perhaps the buck starts stops where uh, with him anyway. So, but um, it, it's it was the 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 race and seasons end did kind of uh, putter out a little bit when uh, when uh, Verstappen ended up being the champion at the Japanese Grand Prix uh, after some uh, silly whack-a-mole-ness with the rules and how many laps were completed and when they started versus restarted and all this. And he didn't even know for the first little while. And, you know, Red Bull had such a strong lead, you know, and there were some weird things going on with who was going to end up being second in the championship. But uh, I don't know. It, the This racing itself did lose a little bit of its luster. But man, oh man, this silly season was something else. <laughs> I mean, this was real housewives of pick a place kind of silly well, one, season stuff. I think we should just touch again on Williams. I, I know I mentioned it a little earlier, but so Jos Capito has been released um, to go on his retirement. Um, and his technical director that he brought in, that he'd worked with before in, in the VW Motorsport Arena, 
this guy FX de Maison has also been ousted. So, you know, as I said, Williams didn't have a good season. Um, and they were the least competitive, the slowest car out there. Uh, and it looks like Doralton Capital has decided to make some changes. But what's curious is that they have not announced any sort of replacement for either of them. Um, so it's kind of, I always find it a little bit worrying when someone's, you know, shipped off, but, but they have no plan for succession. Uh, clearly things are still not right at Williams. And I don't know, Joost was an interesting character. He He seemed like... He he did. I thought he did some things quite well at Williams. I mean, for one thing, the visibility of Williams increased. Um, it seemed like they were doing more to sort of try and promote the team and the fact that they actually existed, which 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 was good because under under Claire they seemed to have just gone completely quiet and under the radar. Yeah. So it was good to see them, you know, doing pop up uh, showrooms at. at at cities where they were racing and try and get some fan experiences going and things of that nature. Um, but apparently he was very divisive in the team. There were some people who didn't, didn't like his approach. Some people didn't like the way he was trying to motivate them. So I think he divided the team quite early on, which was, which is obviously quite a big failing. You really need to pull everyone together and get them, you know, going in the same direction. And as far as FX goes, I mean, you just have to look at the dog's dinner of a car they produced this year with the with the you know the really slimline side pods that they then you know changed dramatically halfway through the year to, to sort of more go down the Red Bull approach. It sounded like or it looked like from the outside that they didn't really know what they were trying to do, and <laughs> and that's you know that's unfortunate. Um, so and I I just I, wor- I worry ever more about Williams's future, honestly. Um, and it would be great to see probably someone with some F1 pedigree come in and uh, sort of take the helm and try and get the ship righted because it does seem like it's just drifting. Michael uh, ever- Andretti. <sighs> you want Andretti to buy the team? He, you know he's getting the Williams name. Absolutely. Come on. Let's do it. I don't Michael know about that Andretti one. Williams F1. I'm ready. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if he brought some money, that would be good. But I think, I think you need someone. You need. I mean, I liked it when they brought uh, Patrick Head back for a little bit. You know, get Patrick back at the helm. He'll make some good decisions. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and he'll get uh, the Cosworth back in that car. Um, <laughs> Well, um, it, it's been a it's been an interesting season, um, and I'm certainly looking forward to 2023. Um, some of my curiosity is a touch morbid, but <laughs> uh, it's, it's certainly curiosity nonetheless. And we have an extremely exciting um, endurance racing season coming. We've got the brand new um, LMH, LMDH, and the parity between the two. So LMH is the World Endurance Championships top class. Uh, LMDH is the is IMSA's top racing class, and both will be able to compete at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And we've got a lot of manufacturers jumping on board. So um, endurance racing is going to be pretty fantastic for 23. Um, IndyCar is, is always good racing. And then, yeah, Formula One is really starting to put its stamp on uh, U.S. soil. And it's, I'm very curious to see how that develops as well. But... Um, I think for now, uh, this is a good time to wrap up. 
Uh, I've got a few F1 related questions from the 22 season before we go. Just uh, I'm going to hit you with them rapid fire style, okay? Let's do it. All right. Who outqualified whom at Mercedes? What was the final tally? Oh, it was close. It was close. I think it was I think it was Russell, but it was close. I'm afraid not. Hamilton, despite the rumors, came out on top 13 to 9. Okay. 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 But it I mean Considering that we're talking about Hamilton, that that is quite close. Yeah, it's closer than it has been in the past. That is very true. I will say, ask you, how many sprint races are there going to be in 23? Six. Ugh. <laughs> oh, come on. The Brazil sprint race was good, wasn't it? That was entertaining. The Brazil sprint race was good. Fine. One out of <laughs> ten or whatever that they've done now over the two <laughs> or three seasons. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) What else have we got? Who was the most outstanding individual? Who who epitomized the success of Red Bull in 2022? Would you say, Robert? Oh, boy. That's a fascinating... The way you asked that question, oh, that's layered. (laughs) Ah, You know, I'm going to... I'm going to say Sergio Perez just because I like Sergio Perez. Wow. I was not expecting that answer. I mean, obviously, obviously Max has had a huge amount of compliments come his way and, you know, justifiably so. He he had a strong season in a, in a great car, but to me, Adrian Dewey, what a masterclass again, this is a guy. That's a really good point. And the, the, the pace of that development of that car it was incredible. It, I mean, just, we were talking about Ferrari earlier. And that's exactly what Ferrari could not keep up with Red Bull's development pace. Yeah. I mean, for 30 years, this guy has been one of the most brilliant minds in the sport. And he proved it yet again with the, with the rule reconfiguration, despite their, their you know, flat-out challenge to try and win uh, a title last year. Uh, they, were, they were able to develop a car that was, was out-and-out class of the field. And, um, and that you have to say he's probably a lot due to Adrian Dewey. So I, his name didn't get mentioned a lot this season, which I found curious because he popped up a lot last year, not so much this year. But uh, I think, you know, that, that guy's design genius just is extraordinary. I mean, he's won titles with obviously Williams, McLaren, and now uh, with Red Bull. Um, in and obviously this isn't the first time his his Red Bull chassis have dominated, um, but it's but it has been a while uh, since they won the constructors all the way back from 2013. So I just uh, the guy is just extraordinary. I, yeah, no arguments there. Uh, my one caveat to that is I am suspicious about the budget cap and Red Bull, but you know, Lord knows what council of groups of meetings and bylaws and whatever nonsense that gets wrapped up in but you know I, i'm i'm very suspicious in how red bull kept under the cost cap with their pace of development that's that's one caveat to all that i would say i think that's a fair point and it will be fascinating to see if they can stay competitive or, or should you say dominant um with the new penalties that have been imposed for them next year so penalties based on their success this year and for the overspend so their their cfd tunnel time is going to be massively uh, diminished relative to their their, their competitors. Um, and I wonder if that's going to hurt them in the, in the next year or two. We shall see. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, there we go. Pop quiz over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that I passed and that my reward is a gin and tonic. Um, <laughs> I'm also going to say that between this last episode and now, I have recorded 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 full-length videos and several shorts as well. So, yeah, just go to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash at Robin Warner, and uh, just watch every one of them twice. Um, I, one, of my, one of my favorite ones, uh, I, did, I did test the BMW i4 M50, BMW's electric sedan. That hat was definitely something. I got to drive the brand-new 2023 Toyota Crown. That thing is certainly interesting. And uh, uh, more recently, I really enjoyed my time in the 2023 Cadillac CT5. Premium luxury was the trim level of that car. It's not premium. It's not luxury. It's <laughs> both at the same time. That's Cadillac, baby. Wow. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or whatever, or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. And please, 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 I'm very open to feedback about what things about the show you like and what could be better as I get a sense of how this show is going to work for everybody in 2023. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com and tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. Chris, oh man, what a great conversation, even with a pop quiz. Hey, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you, Robin, and to everyone who's listened. Well, and you said it the American way, so I'll say it the English way. Uh, happy Christmas. It's <laughs> not the English way. What? I always hear the English say Happy Christmas, and I always hear hey. the Americans say Merry Christmas. So. <laughs> I think you'll be watching some, some cut-rate uh, British movies. Oh, well, there it is. Well, the, the, a cut-rate British movie, Happy Christmas, to you and to all. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. <laughs> that's not a that's not an English thing? <laughs> it's definitely very Christmas where I come from. <laughs>